0: Maxwell and Melbourne Football Club, you're listening to The Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cotchen from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Benderbury from the Collingwood Football Club, you're listening to The Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell from the Hawthorne Footy Club, and you're listening to The Coaches Panel. Hey friends, you've got MJ from The Coaches Panel. Hope you're well and welcome back to another episode of The 50 Most Relevant, where we work our way through who I think are the most relevant players for you to consider in fantasy footy in 2022. One of the regulars of the coaches panel throughout 2021, and you're going to see him a lot more in 2022. You've heard him throughout these 50 most relevant a lot, haven't you? It's Jordox. He's back again. Hello, mate. How are you?
1: I'm very well, in i getting excited now. We're really getting to the pointy end of this list, and there's some really juicy names coming.
0: There certainly is, and one of them today is Jack Crisp in at number 17, and he's a fascinating player. Gosh, it's crazy to think we're a bit over two and a half weeks away, left of the 50 most relevant to go. It's really not that far, but plenty to like and to discuss when it comes to Jack Crisp. 28 years of age, the Collingwood mid-defender, Yep, yeah, he's got DPP for us, and that up. A- pretty nice year for us last year gave a 141 against port adelaide his top afl fantasy and dream team score of the year what well, was 143 against the west coast eagles in super coach not career high scores though because you got to go back to 2018 for when he did those a 147 against the cats in fantasy and dream team well it was a 153 against the tigers in super coach in that format He's priced just shy of his average of 104.9. And when I say shy, it's like it's 0.1 of 105, hey? Uh, Priced in that format of $571,000 in AFL Fantasy off the back of his average of 101.7. He's going to be costing you $854,000 while he's just a touch over $860,000 in Dream Team. And last year was the year to own Jack Crisp, and he's been, Jordoc's, very, very good for a long period of time. And we always look at that games played column most notably as one of the reasons why he's so good. But despite Collingwood's regression down the ladder, it was the year to own Jack Crisp because he finally cracked the seasonal average over 100 across the formats, and coaches loved owning him pretty much every single week.
1: Absolutely, they did, and I think there's no coincidence that he played more midfield than he's ever played before. I know he's always, sort of always been a bit of an everywhere man for the for the Pies since coming across, <clears throat> playing predominantly off half-back, but last year he was right in the guts, um, right in the thick of it, and it showed with um, you know some very good scores throughout the year that you spoke about before. Um, and one of the biggest probably surprise packets when it comes to uh, the DPPs that were announced However long ago that was in, in December that he held that defensive status, yeah. I, I was sure he was going to lose it and make him, you know, probably much less relevant, and, and possibly not even on this list, yep, that you've put together. Uh, so he, but that's the fact he's kept defensive status. Um, we're not completely sure where he's going to line up under a new coach and a new system in 2022, but um, when in the right role, he can score as we
0: are saying, Yeah, no no question about any of that. He's almost there, Mr. Fix-It. For people that have played fantasy footy for a long time, there's a little bit of Jimmy Bartell about him in terms of if there's a need at the club, the, especially Bucks, previously from a coaching perspective, has gone, well, let's bring Jack into that role. Last year, that mid-defensive split was the heaviest it's been, so much so, like you said, he kept that... defensive status probably just enough in my eyes without having a look at the champion data think he probably was lucky to hold on to it but we'll take it because last year he gave us a dream team and fantasy average of 101.7 that consisted of 13 tons four over 120 and an additional four scores 90 plus so 17 of his 22 games 90 plus to go with that he only really gave us two stinkers Um, And that was two scores below 70. By averages of all defenders available to us in 2022, he's ranked number two behind Aaron Hall. But he's the clear number one defender for total points. Part of that is due to that incredible durability, which we'll touch on no doubt through the the episode. In Supercoach, an average of 104.9, also 13 tons. Five over 120, three over 90, with a lowest score of the whole season of just 79. He's ranked six for averages in that format of the game, but it's his total points is what makes him so good because he just doesn't miss. Ranked second amongst all defenders in Supercoach this year for total points, and he's just 50 points shy of the overall leader in Daniel Rich. Yeah, the guy is one of the most expensive options in a back line for a reason. And, and sometimes, Jordox, when we look at these guys, we're always looking for upside. Um, even at the top end, when we're paying the big money for these guys, we're always looking for, oh, can I let, squeeze a little bit more out of him? And the good news is, there is a world where there's a little bit more value. In the first 13 games of the year pre-buy, he was averaging 100.5 in Dream Team and Fantasy and a flat 100 in Supercoach. The final nine games, post-by, by the way, that's when his CBAs all started to kick up a little bit more. An average of 103.5 in Dream Team and Fantasy, but it did pop up to 112 in Supercoach. So it's in that format that has got coaches a little bit more excited than arguably any of the others that he could really be an option that pops off for us over the time. But Jordox, we've already alluded to it. We probably need to dive into it. He's been a magpie for seven years. And for seven years, he hasn't missed a game. Here are his averages in Supercoach. 89, 85, 82, 95, 88, 99, and the 104.9. While in Dream Team and Fantasy, 91, 84, 88, 87, 97. An adjusted average of 95 and then the 101.7. So he's been around this marker before and he just doesn't miss, which for drafts is awesome. But for classic players and salary cap players, it is a undervalued. I know it feels wrong to say this statement, but that is an undervalued equity line that coaches just sometimes breeze over. When you pick Jack Chris, you pick Jack Chris for the year,
1: and look at the other guys in that that price you know price range: Whitfield, Aaron Hall, you know guys who have missed games um, over the years, and and particularly as we enter into a third year of the AFL trying to navigate through this this pandemic it's true. Um, you know we're going to see potentially uh, hopefully not but we've seen that response from the the formats the extra trades and the changes that there is an anticipation that there's going to be players missing so i just think the value of a guy who doesn't miss and 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 i'll we'll get to that in a sec because it, it is phenomenal what jack crisp is doing um but to have a guy who yeah we're really putting the moz on him to miss games this year. Well,
0: but... we've, I've been doing it for four years yeah. and it just doesn't happen. Yeah. So eventually a broken clock is going to be right twice a day. Yes, but that's right. he's just um, so good but... in that space, isn't he?
1: So he's sitting on um, 163 consecutive games, which in the amazing. modern game is it's just, it's outstanding. So the only other player in the AFL who's currently on the streak even close to that is Clayton Oliver, and I think he was 111, maybe. Sure. Um, which, is, which is pretty it's amazing. Still pretty darn
0: good,
1: I yeah. Didn't re- yeah, I didn't, I didn't realise that. I looked at up before. And of course, the great late and great Jimmy Steins has a record at over 220. Oh, 244, it might have been. But anyway,
0: I don't agree. Yeah.
1: So Crisp has played, yeah, 175 career games, and of which he's played 163 in a row, so it is phenomenal. Um, nice. and, and I think looking at his career, particularly at the Pies, is his averages were always he was always safe for a good, you know, 85 to 90 for for years and years and years. Now he's stepped into the midfield in a more permanent role, and he yep. averages over 100. So, you know, I think we really need some intel on where he plays um, for uh, under the new coach this year, but. In saying that, he it's not like he's going to drop off completely if he's playing off half-back because he's got six, seven years of, of mid eighty to high eighty averages.
0: Yeah, even into the 90s too. So you're right. Ultimately, whenever a new coach walks into a club, the game style, the structures, and to some degree, even the player positions have some flexibility. Just recently um, at the Herald Sun, um, I think it was Mark McGowan had a conversation, I might be wrong there, um, with Craig McRae and got some kind of takes from him of who's and what's happening. And he was bullish on a couple of things. He was quite upfront about, yeah, we are actually going to play Scott Pendlebury off the halfback a fair bit this year. Nick Dacos. Yep. He's going to be developing off the halfback. He'll get some mid time, maybe even some forward for his development, but halfback is where we expect him. And Jack Crisp, when the question was put to him by the Herald Sun was around, yeah, he's going to play through both the midfield and we are going to utilize him in the back line as well. So so that's good for coaches. It's not like he's being moved into a deep forward pocket where he's going to be moved into fantasy footy Mordor and nobody wants to have anything to do with him. That's a positive indication. But what does that game style look like? And how quickly do the Collingwood Footy Club adapt to that? We know new coaches bring this new game style and teams and coaches take time to adapt and evolve their games and their movements. Things that were previously second nature structure movements and mindsets of how to move the ball change. So, so that is an uncertainty and an unknowing through there. For me, I think he's an upgrade target. And, and here's why. And, and I'm keen on your taking a sack, George, on it. I believe he's at peak price. Yep. His last nine in Super Coach he's got a little bit more value than what he's priced at. But for me, here's the thing. Whenever a guy is at this heights, based on the magic number, which is how the average and your price is formulated, you need to outperform your average to hold your price point. Otherwise, you see a regression. That's where you get guys cheaper and why we want to see some of these guys that we go against start slowed, buy them cheap. I think he's at peak abilities of what he can be, which is still good. Let's be honest. Low hundreds, defender, that's yummy. We want that. But I think that's the peak of his powers. I don't see him surpassing much beyond that. So I upgrade targeted, especially with the fact, I believe you can only start a maximum of three premium defenders this year. And these are some guys, some we revealed in the 50 most relevant, others we may not see. But here are some names that I want to contrast him against. And can you start Crisp over these guys? Aaron Hall, arguably the best ceiling of all defenders available to us based off the past 12 months. Hall's more likely to take a game away from you in the first six weeks than what Crisp is. Jake Lloyd, if he's picking up any more of those kick-in duties based on the absence of a Jordan Dawson or a game-style evolvement that's regressing back to what they did in 2019 and 2020... Game on. Lockie Whitfield has got unmatched ceiling, even better ceiling than Aaron Hall, if he can be fit. Jordan Ridley, we did an episode with him and Cheezo from Dr. Supercoach a couple of weeks ago. If this boy picks up the kick-ins, he's the best defender in the game, arguably. Dyson Heppel, Jaden Short, Jordan Dawson, all these guys. I can build a more compelling case for the, all of these players that there is more inbuilt value and comparable or better scoring capacities out of just these seven odd players. So that's why for me, I think a combination of better value, cheaper, higher output, cheaper. And I think he's hit his limit of what he can be, which is going to be very good still. I just go, I can't start. I can upgrade. And the only reason you start it's got to be the durability is the thing that turns you on to starting him and, and really not much else.
1: Yeah, and if you're, if you're convinced and very confident he will be a top six defender by the end of the year, sure. uh, You know, and, and you're willing to just tick that one off and start with him and, and, and not try and chase him throughout the year, um, that would be another reason. And if I'm honest, I've been pretty surprised at the lack of sort of fanfare or hype around him. I know his ownership numbers are pretty pretty decent for um for a guy i just haven't heard much talked about him in fantasy he is circles very quiet uh, like I, his
0: percentage is around that 20 percent across the formats that are open and so what, what's that one in five yeah. coaches have him but i don't hear one in five coaches talking about him
1: no that's it and i think you've articulated it pretty well you know why you sort of look at the team and you look at the the defenders when you're picking them and you go oh Whitfield is underpriced. Oh, you know, uh, could Jordan Ridley go up enough? You look at Crisp and you go, "Wow, he costs a lot. I think he's worth the money. I think he'll, you know, if he keeps that role, there's no reason to suggest he's going to suddenly drop his average significantly. Um, It's almost like there's nothing sexy about it. You know, there's no sort of, um, oh, he could be 10 points underpriced. But I... I have a theory why some coaches might not be talking about him or okay. trying not to talk about him. So last year he broke out and he was phenomenal, particularly for, as a unique. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But but there was one dark day in August where he let a lot of people down and that was the, the fantasy grand final weekend. Oh, you're a dream team in
0: fantasy moments about to hit, isn't it? I hear it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sub coach, I think he hit a 97 in this. Yeah. He's year, all right there. No,
0: grand final day.
1: He hit a season low, if you don't mind, sixty-two in that yes. grand final uh, when he, he was playing against Essendon, and, and they lost the game, and that hurt a lot of people. And potentially there's a sour taste, but no, I'm, I'm obviously being a bit silly there. Um, but that look, it does raise a point about Chris yeah. that, that I find concerning: is when you, if you do fork out that sort of coin for him you're going to get those big, beautiful games. But yeah. he does have this... Uh, you mentioned before he only had two. I'd say he had four stinkers in the AFL and DT scoring formats because he had the two in the 60... Uh, the and, 63, and a couple 60, of very low also, Yeah, and all these games, bar one, is sort of sub-20 touches. And I don't think he's copped a tag or anything. He's just one of those games where they've said, today, we want you to play a bit of a different role or he just yeah. can his mitts on it. But... If you're going with him and you're paying it that money and he drops a 60 on you at any point of the year, yeah, um, I'm not sure Lloyd, Whitfield or Hall would be doing that.
0: Yeah, and not unless an injury are, sort of comes their way. So ultimately, look, for me, there's so much unknowns about Collingwood this year. Um, how that backline looks, how that midfield structures out, I, I think really outside of Taylor Adams through the midfield, everything's up for auction about what they're going to do through there. Um, So for me, a combination of all the things that I've already articulated through this episode, he's an upgrade target for me. I think he's going to be still very, very good. Um, I just don't um, have the confidence that I should start him and I'll get a return upon investment. But drafts is interesting about where he goes and coaches all draft differently, um, especially with our premiums. They generally in the, eh, Everywhere, but definitely in the back line, this is true. They, they kind of have one of three things they lean on as their, their tell that they don't know that they, they're telling. It's recency bias of scoring. So they, whatever someone did last year, that's what they're going to do again the next year, and they choose to draft off the basis of that. Second, historical scoring bias. Oh, yeah, they scored that, but they're actually this. So therefore, I'm going to do that. So that's the other one. Or the third is games played, availability, durability. Oh, he's injury prone, so I won't touch him. Oh, he plays every week, so I'm going to bump him up the boards. So when it comes with someone like Jack Crisp, he will be someone's D1. He's, you, you look on the defenders across any format of your draft, he's there right front and center in the first handful of selections. So he'll go early in drafts. I don't see him going in the first 20 picks, but somewhere in that third round, as people start to really look at the defenders, yeah, he's there. Someone might jump a little early in the late second, but that's the earliest I could advocate or endorse that. But it ultimately for me is, is it the scoring ceiling of the hall of what he did last year? Is it the historical scoring of the Lloyd and the Whitfield? Or is it the durability of Crisp? Any of those are valid narratives to believe, but it probably then helps you shuffle around your order a bit, doesn't it?
1: Uh, yeah, for sure. And, and durability, um, that word, you know, that comes up. Um, and that's a big one in drafts. And, yeah, and that's why I, I, I'd be really surprised if he didn't go, you know, in, in, in a third round, forward round. Like you said, he's going to be someone's D1. And, you know, looking at the, the board, there's three players that averaged over 100. Um, Paul and Zeebel are the other two. In dream team in fantasy. Yeah, uh, sorry. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I I think he'll go pretty much one of the first defenders. So,
0: yeah. um, First handful. I'd be be shocked if it's in the first 15, but anywhere from the late teens to the late 20 positions overall Mm. probably feels about right.
1: Yeah. And if you can snare him later than that, because there's some other more attractive names in Whitfield, Lloyd, and and the like, um, yeah, he could really set you up as a D1 in a draft comp.
0: Yeah, I really, really like him in drafts. And and anyone that's owned him in that format at the better part of seven years at Collingwood knows they've enjoyed every single week, no matter what comes, you're getting a really solid seasonal average out of Jack Crisp. Hey, Jordox, appreciate your work today on this episode. Pleasure, MJ. Uh, I tell you what, we'll even get you back for tomorrow's episode. How does that sound?
1: Alright,
0: I'm in. Fine, alright. We'll make that work. If you want to go and read the article on Jack Crisport, any of the other players revealed so in the 50 most relevant. Good news, friend. Articles every day have been dropping at coachespanel.tv There is a podcast of every player so far. There is hours upon hours upon hours of pre-season content. Nobody's got more podcasts out in 2022 for your fantasy footy format than the coaches panel this year. So go back, my friends, check it out. There is a heap of great analysis from members of the panel and friends of the fantasy footy community at large. You don't want to miss any episode because they're not just dropping player info. They're giving you some sneaky strategy insights dropped along every single one of these. All right, tomorrow we head to number 16. We've already told you Jordox is back for this episode. I've had to contain his levels of excitement as we talk about this player. Every Like you've got this one made in every league, draft or salary caps. You mention a player's name and you know they're going to pick him. Without even saying this player's name, I just had to look at his eyes and I know he's going to pick this player. Here's why. If... If he's named round one, I don't see how coaches don't pick him. Now, if is a loaded word, it has a lot of variance in it. But if he's named round one, the way his preseason is currently trending, the way this guy can score, I don't believe a coach for a second if they tell me they have no interest in him. If he's named round one, how can you not pick this player? Who is he? I'll tell you tomorrow in the 50 most relevant.